0: Alright, good to be with all of you this afternoon. I hope you're having a great Sunday. I'm excited to get into the Word of God. So if you need a Bible, there are some Bibles in the back, but I encourage you to grab one because we're going to need it. So if you're joining us for the first time, we go through the Gospels week by week and we've been going chronologically through the Gospels, uh, verse by verse. So we're going to pick it up today in Luke chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 7. Now, last week, we were back in the Gospels, and we were in Luke 7, and we looked at verses 1 through 17. And at this point, Jesus was continuing to minister, but he was on his way to what could have been likened to his home in Capernaum. And as he was going there, a Roman centurion met him in verses 1 through 10. And this Roman had a servant who was very dear to him. Right? A servant who was very dear to him. It's like a son to him, and he was sick to the point of death. And this man sent for Jesus to heal his servant, but What was amazing about this Roman was that he believed that if Jesus merely spoke a word, then his servant would be healed. And he humbled himself. He said that Jesus was too great to come under his own roof. And so this kind of a faith that was just mixed in with humility, it amazed Jesus. And it was a great lesson for us, right? To come to Jesus with a faith that's humble and one that just takes Jesus at his word and trusts him for what he says. Well, the second story was found in verses 11 through 17. And Jesus entered a city called Nain, and he actually walked into a funeral procession that was going on. And Luke's gospel is the only gospel that records this story, and it's kind of an interesting one. But there was a widow there, and her son had died. And Jesus came across this dead boy and raised him back to life again. And so the last thing that we saw in this story was in verse 16, it tells us, that great fear came upon all the people and they glorified God. They were amazed, but they were a little afraid. They didn't know what was going on, but they were giving glory to God for all that had been happening. And in verse 17, it tells us that Jesus' fame and his reputation was spreading throughout Judea and the surrounding regions. So where we're going to pick up today in verse 18, we're going to actually talk about John the Baptist once again. And if you were joining us for any amount of time, we talked about John many months ago when we started the Gospels. And we're going to talk about him again today. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and commit this time once again to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll go through these verses. Father, we just come humbled before you, God. Humble that you would give us your word, Lord, to study and to read and to gain wisdom from. And we just thank you, Father, for your word. We know it's alive, it's powerful. And we just pray, Lord, that your word would just speak a timely message to each one of our hearts, God, that you would meet us where we're at, Lord, and draw us closer to you. Father, I just pray against the distractions that we may have came in here with, Lord, any distractions that have been holding us back from you. I just pray, Lord, we would surrender those before your throne uh, this afternoon, Father, and that we would just... Lord, come at hearts ready to hear your word, Father. We just invite your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. So John the Baptist, he had his disciples, and they were watching closely the ministry of Jesus and watching what Jesus was doing. And if you're familiar with John the Baptist, the last time we heard about him was back in Luke chapter 3. Verses eighteen through twenty. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll see what happened to John. John had baptized Jesus, and shortly after this we see what happened to him next in Luke three, eighteen through twenty. And it says, and with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all that he shut John up in prison. So here in verse 18, back in Luke 7, we see that John the Baptist is actually in Herod's prison still. And he's been in this prison for speaking out against the sin of Herod. And Herod was a joint ruler who was established by the Romans, and he was really just a puppet for the Romans. And so as I read about this, and I, and I thought about John's situation, I just had to ask the question, where are we at today, and what season of life or ministry are you in today? Because it's interesting, because John's situations changed quite drastically. If you look in Luke chapter 3, John almost felt like he was on the top of the world. He saw the Messiah, the one that Israel had been praying and waiting for, finally gets to see the Messiah, has the privilege of baptizing him, witnesses the Father say that this is my beloved Son, witnesses the Spirit descend on Jesus, and yet here he is now in a prison. Oh, how his situation's changed drastically. And I'm sure this prison was dark, it was cold, it was dirty, and all of this was as a result for John standing up for truth about sin and the truth of God's law while he was ministering to Herod. So what season of life are you in, and what situation are you in? Just think about that, and we'll continue here in verses 19 through 20. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And I think this really gives us a look into John's heart. John was beat up. He had a little worn-out faith here. After all he witnessed and after all he heard about from Jesus, he sends two of his disciples to ask if Jesus truly was the one that he said he was, The, the one that John pointed people to. The one that John pointed his own disciples to follow after. Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one? And I love this story in Scripture. It's actually one of my favorite stories because it really shows us the vulnerable side of John. And I think when we read Scripture, we we look at these men and women of God and we think, oh yeah, these guys were perfect. right? We should be like them. Well, the Bible actually never tells us to be like these men and women. It tells us to be like Jesus and to follow these men and women's example. But these men and women of God, they were flawed just like we are. They had their problems and their their mistakes just like we do. And here we see John, a great man of faith, a great man of God, just worn out and beat up. And maybe that describes you today in your walk with Christ. Maybe it describes you in your life period. Maybe you don't know the Lord and you're just worn out and beat up by the, the things of this world and the aching in your heart for truth. Or maybe that's you in ministry and as you've been serving God day in and day out, you're just tired and worn out and you feel beat up. And John got to this point. And he wondered if Jesus was really what who he said he was. And I'm sure John thought if the Messiah was here to set the captives free, then why am I in captivity? I can't help but think John thought this. Perhaps John had the misconception of who the Messiah was supposed to be like many people in Israel. For many people in Israel thought the Messiah was going to come riding on a horse to vanquish all their enemies and to liberate Israel from their oppressors. And maybe this is what John thought the Messiah was going to do. And sometimes we get to the same place of feeling worn out and beat up in the calling that Christ has for our lives. And I remember this happened to me just nearly a year ago when we left Myanmar. And I remember after the military coup happened, the people would come up to us every day. Every day they'd come to our house or we'd see them at church and they'd say, you're not going to leave us, right? Because many people were leaving and we would tell them, no, we're not going to leave you guys. We're going to walk through this together with you and we're, we're not going anywhere. And it was truly just a privilege to witness all that God was doing. The church was growing and growing. It was standing room only. People couldn't even fit. We had to keep the doors open because people were just kept coming. The, the children's ministry, there were so many kids that we had to start bringing kids into our home because the classrooms were so full. Our English classes turned into three classes. VBS had hundreds of kids and the church was growing because they were starving for hope. And I remember thinking, this is where God has me. I'm going to be here the rest of my life. I'm going to die in this country. This is where I'm going to be. And I remember thinking that, and a week later, here we are packing up to leave. But that didn't compute with me. That wasn't what my plan was. I wasn't ready for that. And then coming here to Thailand after being in Myanmar, having to quarantine for two weeks, let me tell you something, being emotionally and spiritually beat up and being in a, in a room for 14 days by yourself is not a good place to be. <laughs> and I remember just crying in my hotel room and just sitting there thinking, God, did you really call me? You didn't call me. God, you said you would be faithful, but I don't see your faithfulness. God, I thought this is where you had me. And as I was praying this, I I just felt God put these verses on my heart in Isaiah chapter 55, if you want to turn there. And in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, God said this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." And I remember God just gently spoke to my heart. Was that your plan or was that my plan? Because my plan for you is to be faithful wherever I place you and to share the truth with whomever I place in front of you. And that's when I realized that being here in Chiang Mai, it's not a hiatus from ministry. This is ministry. And I also realized this when we came here, that we're not alone with, with this story. There's many missionaries here who have a very similar story. Many missionaries who, who came here out of their own control, And due to circumstances and situations outside of their control. And the message is the same for all of us. God has us here for such a time as this to share Jesus with who he places in front of us. We're not here by accident. We're here because God willed it to be so in his sovereignty according to his plan and his will. And he wants us to be used by him. Well, let's see how Jesus replies to John in verses 21 through 23. In that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. It says in the same hour that John's disciples came to ask Jesus this question, he performed many miracles says he cured people of infirmities, and this word translates to mean physical sickness. He healed people of afflictions, and this word translates to mean plagues, and it could possibly reference a lifelong illness that people had. Jesus healed those. He cast out demonic forces who were physically possessing people, and he restored sight to the blind. And Jesus then answers John's questions. And Jesus told these men to go and tell John the things that they had seen and heard. Now, I think it's important as we look at this story to notice the heart of Jesus here. He doesn't kick John while he's down. He doesn't reprimand John or discipline him. He doesn't say, you're the one who baptized me and now you question me. I'm done with you. He doesn't say that. It really shows us the heart of Jesus, that Jesus is gentle in heart. He's lowly in heart. And Jesus is not in the business of hurting a worn out faith. He wants to restore a worn out faith. And I think that's such a beautiful heart from our Lord. And this is what Jesus' heart was for John. He wanted to see him restored. He wanted to encourage him. He wanted to remind him that this was his will, that he was who he said he was. Now, when I read Jesus' response, I had to say, just wait, wait a minute. I, I thought the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So why is Jesus telling John's disciples to go tell him what they had seen? And I believe Jesus was doing two things here. I believe, number one, Jesus was showing John how the Messiah actually would serve and act and live. Again, a common misconception that the Israelites had in the time was that the Messiah would come vanquish their enemies, would come in royalty and establish a kingdom on the earth. But that's not what Jesus did as the Messiah, was it? As a matter of fact, he did the opposite many times. And he taught in Matthew 5, as we were just going through that recently, Jesus taught, if someone tells you to go one mile, go with him too. And this was in reference to the Romans telling the Israelites to carry their gear and equipment. And here Jesus is telling them, do more for them. And this didn't really compute with the people of Israel. But Jesus was showing how the Messiah actually would serve and act. He didn't come as a, as a ruler or a dictator to overthrow an empire. He exemplified the heart of a servant. And if you look in verse 22, this is what the Messiah did. He went to the blind. The blind were considered beggars and ignored by people. They were considered to be an annoyance and a a nuisance to people. The lame, the lame were just cast aside by people. They were good for nothing according to many people because they couldn't move. The lepers, the lepers were cast outside the city and people weren't even allowed to approach them, let alone get near to them and touch them. The deaf, the dead, you can't get any more distant from a dead person, right? The poor, yet this is who Jesus went to minister to. He went to the ones who otherwise would be looked down upon or avoided. He exemplified the heart of a servant and a heart of love for all people. And this is what the Messiah came to do to save us from our sins and to bring the gospel to those who need to hear it. I believe the second reason Jesus told John's disciples to go tell him what they had seen and heard was so that they would remember what Jesus said and remember what Jesus had done. And this idea of remembering is a common theme throughout Scripture. And we see this in the Old Testament when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and into the Promised Land when they crossed the Jordan River. God told the Israelites, when you get to the middle of the Jordan River, take up stones. And these stones are so that you remember what I've done for you, so that you remember the deliverance I gave you. From the bondage of Egypt, and so that you remember my promise to you in giving you this promised land. And it was also for their children to look upon these stones and they would ask, What do these mean? And their and their parents would tell them, This is what God had done for us. It was so they would remember. And this act of remembering is all throughout Scripture, we're doing it today as we partake in communion. When we share in communion together, it's an act of remembering, remembering what Jesus has done for us, remembering his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection. In this marriage invitation that Jesus has given us and offered to us. We also see this again mentioned in Psalm 77. If you would turn there real quick. I love this chapter. Because once again it just shows us a vulnerable side of this author. And in Psalm 77, the the psalmist is writing about everything that he's going through. And all of his afflictions. And he's struggling so bad that he he ends up writing this in Psalm 77 verses 7-9. through He says, will the Lord cast off forever? Will He be favorable no more? Has His mercy ceased forever? Has His promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His tender mercies? This is to the point where the psalmist got, this is the, the turmoil going on in his heart because of the season of life and the situation and the circumstance he was in. But he also wrote about how he medicated his worn-out faith. In the next three verses in verses 10, 11, and 12. And he wrote this. And I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord, and surely I will remember your wonders of old. And I will also meditate on all your work, and I'll talk of your deeds. And Jesus was reminding John, look what I've done Look what I have said to you. Look what I have spoken to you. Remember who I am. And for some of us, I think all of us in here, we need to be reminded of that as we walk through difficult seasons of our lives. Remember who our God is. Remember what He has done for us. Remember His faithfulness. But it's so easy to forget this so many times. I know I do. Financially, I've been here with no support system. Now, by God's grace, I have a support system. But I didn't for nearly two years. God provided all my needs. Never lacked. Yet every month, I look at the bank account and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's going to be nothing this month. Nothing's coming. And yet every month, God does it. And I forget. I forget. And God has to remind me look at all I've done for you. Look how faithful I've been. And this is what Jesus wanted John to do to remember. One of the greatest things we can do to medicate our worn out faith is to remember who God is and remember His Word. And how do we remember His Word? By being in His Word. But many times when we feel worn out and beat up, I know for me at least, the last place I want to be at times is the Word of God. Because our heart gets callous towards it and hard-hearted towards it. And we get in our emotions and our feelings and we want to push away the counsel and the words of God. But Jesus wants us to go back to His Word. Remember His Word. Remember what He spoke to us. To consider and observe His faithfulness. Why? Because if God was faithful in every season of our life leading up to this point, He will continue to be faithful. Second Timothy chapter two verse thirteen, Paul wrote this to Timothy. He said, Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Look at verse twenty three and then we'll move on. Jesus said, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. To be offended by someone or something, it means to be annoyed or angered, because you perceive to be insulted by someone or something. That's what it means to be offended. And again, this was something that was happening quite often as Jesus continued to minister and teach. And if you read John chapter 6, it gives us a lot more insight of many people who actually walking away from following Jesus because they were offended at who Jesus was and what he claimed to be. People didn't like the idea that Jesus was here to have the heart of a servant and eventually give up his life and die. They didn't want that. They wanted a ruler who would come and liberate them from the Romans. But Jesus was going to liberate them from something so much greater than the Romans, and He was going to liberate them from sin. But they didn't understand this. Even Peter, right, the strong disciple, he thought that this was a terrible idea. And he pulled Jesus aside and he said, Jesus, i got to tell you something. This is not going to happen to you. He tried to rebuke Jesus, and Jesus ended up rebuking him. People didn't like this idea that the Messiah came to give up His life. Because people want to serve a Jesus that meets their expectations. A Jesus that meets their wants and their desires instead of God's desires and God's expectations. People want to serve a Jesus that allows them to continue in sin in a debauched life. And now many people want to go out in this world and share about this false idea of who Jesus is. It's happening today just as it was happening then. But Jesus gives us this command to not be offended because of Him. We can't be offended or ashamed of what the Word of God says. And when we go out to share the truth, we can't be shy to share the truth of God's Word. And maybe as we go out to share the truth of God's Word, you might think, well, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to push anyone away. If they don't know Jesus, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. You can't push them away anymore. The Word of God can't offend us. So I ask you this. Do the commands of Jesus offend you? And you might be thinking, no, of course not. Praise the Lord. What about this? Does the way God chooses to work offend you? And you might be thinking, no. Okay, how about this? Does it offend you whom God chooses to use to accomplish his work? Because I think we all struggle with this one. Lord, you can't use them. Or why are you using them and you're not using me? Right? It's all about me because when we're worn out in our faith, it comes back to our own prideful heart. And Jesus said, blessed are those who aren't offended because of me. Not to be offended by the way Jesus works. The words that Jesus speaks. All we're called to do is be faithful. That's it. Be faithful. Be faithful with what God has placed in front of us. Let's look at verses 24 through 27. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? By what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, in more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Again, I think it's important to note that Jesus is not kicking John when he's down. Instead, he commends John and he addresses John to the multitude of people. And I think we can learn a great deal from the example that John set in his lifestyle. Jesus said of John that he wasn't a reed shaken by the wind, and a reed is in reference to tall grass. And as you can imagine, tall grass blowing in the wind is not stable, it's not sturdy, it's not firm. And what Jesus was saying was John was firm. He was firm in his calling. He was firm to the point of imprisonment. He didn't shy away from the truth. He shared what God put on his heart. Jesus continues describing John by saying that he wasn't dressed in royalty, but instead he took on the role of a servant. And this is the kind of heart that we are to have as we serve God and as we seek to further his kingdom, to be bold witnesses, to not shy away from the truth of God's word, to not be timid Christians, to be bold Christians, but to have a servant's heart. There's many Christians who want to serve God, but not many who want to serve And God is calling us to have a servant's heart as John had and as Jesus had. And when Jesus was, the night he was betrayed and arrested, he washed his disciples' feet. And this was the role of a very lowly servant. Not just a servant, but a very lowly servant. And Jesus did it to the disciples' feet. And now that I live in Asia, I have more appreciation of this. Now that I see people walk barefoot and walk in sandals and flip-flops and the feet get really dirty... I can have a lot more appreciation now for this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And you got to imagine these guys were rugged. They were probably dirty. But Jesus, he washed their feet. And after he did this, he said, I've done this as an example for you to follow. Go and do as I have done. And Jesus then said this, No disciple is above his master. And if Jesus had the heart of a servant, we're to have the heart of a servant. Jesus then mentions in verse 27 that John was prophetic fulfillment. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 3. And also a prophecy about John is also recorded in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. And Malachi, is it's in there. I know that might sound weird to you, but it's in in the Bible. It's the last book of the Old Testament, right? In chapter 3, verse 1, there's another prophecy about John. But Jesus' point was that John was a bold witness with a servant's heart following the calling that God had for his life. And I had this ask this question, would the same be said about you and me? If someone were to describe us the way that Jesus described John, would we be described as someone with a bold servant's heart who is walking after the calling that God has for our lives? And it's something to think about. Let's look at verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And I think this is an interesting verse. And Jesus says of John that there was no greater prophet than John born of women. And I I find this fascinating for two reasons. One, that Jesus calls John the Baptist a prophet. I never thought of John as a prophet, but that's how Jesus describes him as. But two, I don't believe Jesus is saying that John has some greater status than other Christians and that he's better than other Christians. But merely what Jesus is saying is, John is the only prophet who prophesied of the Messiah and yet saw the Messiah be fulfilled physically in his day and begin his ministry. Not only this, but John had the privilege of baptizing Jesus. And if you look in the Old Testament, all the prophets prophesied about Jesus, but they all died. They didn't see the coming Messiah fulfilled in their day. But John, he, he got not only got to be prophetic fulfillment of being a messenger to prepare the way for Jesus, but he also prophesied about the Messiah and then saw the Messiah fulfill prophecy. And that's truly an incredible thing. But Jesus also says this in verse 28. He says, But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And again, I think this shows us the heart of God that there's no partiality with the heart of God. He doesn't view one person or esteem one person above another. Yet we do this all the time, don't we? And it's easy to do this in the church. And I think many Christians do this when they look at people who go out to evangelize or people who teach and they say, Oh, they're so much better than we are. That's not true. There's no partiality in God's kingdom. He doesn't view someone greater or more important than another. He sees us all the same, right? From the ones cleaning the bathrooms to the ones teaching, God sees, acknowledges it all. And there's no weaker vessel in the church. There's not one who's less important. God has gifted each one of us in different ways to come together as one body and one church to use those gifts and to glorify Him. That's not to say there's not an order in the church. There is. But God has gifted us each differently. And there's not one who's less important. I think it'd be important for us to stop comparing ourselves to other Christians, stop comparing ourselves to other churches or other ministries, and just be faithful. Just be faithful. We're not at competition with each other in the body of Christ. We're a family. And when people walk through these doors to experience the love and hope of Jesus, they shouldn't walk in on a dysfunctional family. That's a very uncomfortable thing. Let's look at verses 29 through 30. And when all the people heard Him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. So it says the hearts of many people and even tax collectors, they accepted and they willingly received what Jesus said. And you've got to think, these same people, they accepted the message of John. They accepted the message of repentance. They were baptized by John. However... It tells us the Pharisees and then lawyers, or in other words, the scribes, the religious leaders, they rejected the will of God for themselves. They rejected the message of repentance that John taught and they rejected the message that Jesus taught. But I think it's important to note this, that Jesus still ministered to these people even though their hearts were hard. And I think we kind of get the wrong idea because we look at, at Jesus and his interaction with the religious leaders and we think, oh, Jesus always rebuked them and he always had it out with the religious leaders. That's not true, and He did rebuke them. But Jesus was trying to minister to them. He was trying to win their hearts to Him. Even John the Baptist, he wasn't at odds with Herod. He was trying to get him to repent because he cared about him. And no matter how hard-hearted a person may seem to the Gospel, it doesn't give us an excuse to stop ministering to them. And this is, again, what Jesus exemplified. Now, this is a slight tangent, but I think it's a good application we can draw from this. That as the religious leaders rejected the will of God. The word rejected in the Greek language here, it means to disregard. It doesn't mean to necessarily cast something away and say, I'm never doing that ever. It means to just ignore something. Disregard it. Cast it aside. And are you doing this with the will of God for your life today? You know what God has called you to do. You know what God is leading you to do. But you keep casting it aside, maybe because you're not comfortable with it. Maybe because you're battling it. You don't want to do it. Right? Jonah in the Old Testament He's known for this. Unfortunately, that's really all he's known for. It's a pretty sad thing. But but Jonah is known for this. Having a calling that God gave him, and he disregarded it. He didn't want to do it. He wasn't comfortable with it. And not only did he ignore it, but he went in the opposite direction that God called him to go. And eventually he came around, he obeyed, but are we doing the same thing today? Are we disregarding God's will for us? Are we disregarding what God is calling us to do? And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Are you disregarding the aching in your heart, in the, in the signs, and the words that Jesus has been speaking to you, because Jesus is after your heart? And we have this tendency of saying, tomorrow I'll get right with God. Tomorrow I'll worry about it. Well, we're not promised tomorrow. And if there's a time to get right with God, now's the time to do it. And that goes for all of us. It's look like at verses 31 through 32. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. Jesus is saying of the generation of His time that they were unwilling to receive the message of Jesus. They were unwilling to receive the message of the Gospel. Despite all the signs pointing to it, despite all the words spoken to them regarding this, they rejected it. And it's truly an amazing thought, at least for me, to think about this, because this is what these people lived and breathed for. This is what they were waiting for their entire lives, to see the Messiah. right? For the Jewish people, this is all they expected, the Messiah. That's all they wanted to see was the Messiah come. Well, here the Messiah was right in front of them, and they rejected him. Why? Because they had a flawed idea of who he was supposed to be to them. In the world we live in today, again, it's no different. They want to serve their own Jesus. The people of Jesus' generation, they were missing what was right in front of them. Now, as I was looking at these verses, I just thought, okay, great, I'll move on. But I really felt God convict my heart that there's something more there. There's something more in this verse. So I prayed about and I just felt God put this on my heart. What are we missing that's right in front of us? What is God trying to do right in front of us that we are blind to? that we're ignorant to. And maybe our faith has been worn out. Maybe we are beat up. And when we're worn out and beat up in our faith, it's very easy to lose sight of the opportunities that God is placing right in front of us. I can always tell when someone is a little worn out in their faith, when you ask them about this nation, you ask them about the people here. And many times they'll say, oh, the people are so hard-hearted here towards the gospel, and this country's never going to become saved. And then you talk to others and they're like, oh my goodness, there's a revival stirring in this nation. It's incredible to see what God is doing. People are coming to us, asking us to teach them the Bible. Buddhists coming to us and saying, teach us this Jesus. Teach us this Bible. Yet many times when we're calloused in our faith and we're worn out, we miss what God is doing right in front of us. And it truly is a privilege to be here and to witness what God is doing because there is a revival stirring. That's not my opinion That's the church's opinion and that's what God is doing. That's the work of God getting done in this country. What a privilege it is to be a part of it. Are we missing it? Are we missing what God is doing right in front of us? That there is a world starving for truth and starving for hope and we have the answer. It's not us, it's Jesus. And you don't need me to remind you of this, but I need to be reminded of this sometimes. That's why we're here, to share Jesus. Let's not miss what God is trying to do right in front of us. Let's look at verses 33-34. through For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. (laughs) This is what the people were saying about John and Jesus. They called John (laughs) demon-possessed. And they called Jesus a glutton and an excessive drinker. And and, you know, I, I laughed at that when I read it. Because that just sounds so out of left field. But this still happens today as we seek to live and serve Jesus, doesn't it? People will come against us, ridicule and mock us for standing up for the truth and living a life for Jesus. People seek to tear us down, ridicule us, attack our reputations. And Peter wrote of this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4. It's actually just what we went over in youth group this past Friday. And Peter wrote this, he said, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation and they speak evil of you. This is what the world thinks of us as we seek to serve Jesus. And Satan will use these words and use this discouragement because he doesn't want us walking in the calling that God has for our lives. He wants us to forsake it and leave and go home. That's what he wants. So any way that he can discourage us, he's going to do it. And you've got to think about John in his situation. Sitting in a dark, cold, dirty prison, right after again having this mountaintop moment of baptizing Jesus, and now here he is in a dark prison all by himself. Imagine someone coming up to him in prison and said, John, you're demon-possessed. I don't think that would have been pleasant for him to hear. I'm, not, I'm sure he didn't go away and say, you know what, I'm really encouraged by that, thank you. I'm sure that was discouraging. If someone looked at me and they said, you're a glutton and an excessive drinker, I would be pretty offended at that. I'd be discouraged at that. Satan wants to tear us down in our faith. And when we're worn out, when we're beat up, these words, they really get to us, don't they? This discouragement really gets to us. Well, this isn't going to stop. All we need to remember is we've got to be like Jesus, act like Jesus, and be faithful. Again, it comes back to being faithful. Let's look at our last verse, verse 35, and then we'll wrap it up. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus ends this by saying that wisdom is justified by our children. And this is, again, a little tangent, but I feel like I should preface this. Um, Jesus and wisdom are not the same thing. And I mention this because it's very common, commonly believed today, and I've heard it a lot in the past month, actually. People believe that wisdom and Jesus are the same thing, and that's actually not true. Jesus possesses all wisdom. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. But Jesus and wisdom are separate things. Wisdom is something that Jesus possesses. And we're told this in Proverbs 8.22. And Solomon wrote about wisdom and said, You possessed me at the beginning of, of days. This is something that Jesus possesses. So again, just a little tangent, but just thought I should mention it. Now back to this verse in Luke 7. Jesus is saying that many people consider themselves to be wise, but there's no fruit in their lives. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. What kind of fruit are we bearing for Jesus. After all, the religious leaders thought of themselves to be wise. They thought they were the wisest men in all of Israel. Yet they rejected the gospel message of Jesus. They rejected the message of repentance. And those who truly have wisdom, which again, what is wisdom? Wisdom means you exercise good judgment in the knowledge that you have and you apply it. Those who truly walk in wisdom will be bearing fruit in spite of it. You're going to see fruit from your life. Think about Jesus Jesus walked in wisdom, and here we are. We're the living proof of that. Many people critique ministry, but they don't minister, right? This is very common today. And it's very easy for us to fall into the same trap the religious leaders fell into, and we get self-righteous, and we get prideful in our hearts, and we cast judgment at others, and we say, oh, look at what they're doing, or look at what they're not doing. We start to pinpoint other Christians and other people and what they're doing for the kingdom and what they're not doing, all the while, while we're not being obedient to what God is calling us to do. And I just reminded, and one of my favorite things in Scripture is what Jesus tells Peter in John 21. I love it because Jesus, kind of out of left field, just tells Peter what kind of death he's going to die. And Peter turns to the Apostle John and he says, okay, Jesus, what about him? And Jesus said, okay, Peter, if I will that he remains till I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. Or in other words, don't worry about him, Peter. You just do what I called you to do. You be faithful to what I've placed in front of you. And you'll bear fruit when you're faithful. And the same applies to us. So I'll wrap up with this. As we looked at these verses 18-35, through 35, we, we, we studied, again, just one of my favorite stories in Scripture. The story of John. And as he was in prison, and as he was dealing with a lot going on, he was worn out. He was beat up. John got to a place that many of us get to, and a place that many of us may even be in today. This place where we question, Jesus, are you really working? Jesus, did you really call me? Jesus, are you really faithful? Jesus, are you really moving in this place? And are you really going to use me to further your kingdom? But Jesus shows us in these verses how to medicate, how to mend a worn-out faith. And He says, remember the works of God. Remember His Word. Remember His faithfulness. Remember what He's done for us. To not focus on what others say about us as we seek to serve Jesus. To not worry about what other people are doing or what they're not doing, but to have a servant's heart. To be bold. To trust Jesus and take Him at His word. And I'll close with this thought and then we'll take communion together. Let's not miss what Jesus is trying to do right in front of us. And, and I don't know, for some reason, it just this is what stood out to me the most in these verses was this idea that Jesus' generation, they were missing it. They were missing what was right in front of them. Their Savior, their Messiah, the One who was going to deliver them from their sin. They missed it. What are we missing that Jesus is trying to do right in front of us, that He's inviting us into? It's something to think about. So as communion's getting passed out, just want you again, and I just encourage you again, as Aaron has already encouraged and challenged, to get your heart right before the Lord. But I love how as we study these verses, Jesus tells us to remember. Remember what He's done. Remember His faithfulness. Remember His great love. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's exactly what we're doing as we partake in communion together. As we share in the Lord's Supper together, we're coming together as a church and acknowledging this is what Jesus has done. We're remembering that Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could have eternal life. So that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be used by Him for His glory, and in Luke chapter twenty-two, if you still have your Bibles and you turn over to Luke twenty-two and you look at verse nineteen, but Jesus said in Luke twenty-two nineteen, He took bread, He gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, "This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me." Verse twenty. Likewise, He also took the cup after supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant." in my blood which is shed for you. And again this act of remembering we remember that Jesus paid the ultimate price so we wouldn't have to. In the work of Jesus it doesn't need to be added to. It's complete. It's finished. You don't need to take from it. You don't need to add to it. The work's complete. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it, but Jesus graciously has given it to us. And in this act of instituting communion, Jesus really instituted a marriage invitation for us to become a part of his bride, the church. That we could be in union with God for eternity. That we could be with Him for all of time. And it's such a beautiful thing. Amen. Lord, we thank You again so much. Lord, for Your love and Your mercy for us. And again, God, just give us the faith and the strength to say yes to Your commands and to obey You, Lord, no matter what the circumstances may be. Father, just settle our hearts before You. Teach us Your ways and teach us to be more like You. Thank you, Lord, so much. We love you, God, and we just continue to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.